So I have to ask you a question. What, what do you believe uh, makes a, a church healthy? What makes a church healthy? If you were to define church health, how would you define church health? I, I believe that if I was to ask some of you, you know, that we'd get different answers as to what defines church health. And so I have kind of just four or five things to kind of just generic ideas that people can have. And so one thing that some people would say is that church, a church that's healthy has good, a church that has good programs, has good programs, good things that people can come and be a part of, and that makes a healthy church. And that's true. That is a part of a healthy church is that, is that a church would offer programs and things that people could come and be a part of and to grow in their faith. Um, some people would say that a, a healthy church would be a church that does outreaches like the pumpkin patch. And they, they, have a, they have a desire in their heart birthed from the Great Commission to reach out into their community and to reach the world for Jesus. And that would be an element of a healthy church, right? Correct. That, that would be one element. And then good music, good worship music. I think that a healthy church has music that exalts Christ. The music that we sing is not about ourselves. It's not about anything but Christ. It's about Christ. It's about exalting the name of Jesus, about exalting God's character and his nature and the truths of Scripture. And so having good, godly, Christ-exalting music, that is a part of a healthy church. What about good preaching? I know preaching is subjective, right? And so sometimes you could say, well, that's good preaching and that's not good preaching. But I believe that a healthy church would have preaching that is biblical. That would make a healthy church. Biblical preaching. There are, there, you know, there's, you would think that all preachers would preach the Bible, but I just want you to know that not all preachers preach the Bible. There are preachers that do other things. They get behind pulpits and they do other things. But good preaching is preaching that, is, that has its foundation in Scripture. That we are taking the text... And we are reading the text, we're explaining the text, and we're applying the text. Reading the text, explaining the text, and uh, applying the text. That's good biblical preaching. That makes a healthy church. Uh, What about vibrant life groups would make a healthy church, right? A a, a church that, that, that connects with each other in small group settings. That's important because as a church gets larger... Uh, it's hard for people to make real vibrant connections with brothers and sisters in Christ that will help facilitate their spiritual growth. And so a healthy church should have vibrant life groups. And, he, and this, what I'm about to say here, is that sometimes people define healthy churches as, as big crowds. So you have, if you have a lot of people that are coming, then that must mean you have a healthy church. And that's not necessarily the case. You could have a lot of people, but really not be a healthy church. And so some of these elements, I believe, make up a healthy church. And I, you, I could have expanded the list, but I believe that there is one, there is one marker, one test that will tell us if our church is healthy and any other church is healthy. It's really only one test, and here's the test. A church is healthy based upon the Christ-likeness of the people. The Christ-likeness of the people in the church is what makes a church healthy. The Christ-likeness of the people in the church is what makes a church healthy. Because you can do away with the programs and you cannot have great music and not have very many people. But if the people that gather are like Christ and are becoming like Christ, that is a healthy church. That's a church that, that, that is, going to, is going to do and be and pursue the things that God has called them to do. The Christ-likeness of the people. And I think that our standard for church health 
in our culture today has been skewed. And it's been, it's been defined in many ways that are not healthy for church. But I think this singular thought right here about the Christ-likeness of the people in the church is, is what we should look at when we define what a healthy church looks like. And this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the church as we're going through chapter 4 in Ephesians. We began three weeks ago, we talked about what a church is. And what is a church if you were here? A church is what? It's the people. The church is not a building. It's a people. And what type of people make up the church? Redeemed people. The word church means ecclesia. It's the called out ones. Those that have been called out of darkness into light. And so a church is not a building, but it's a people. It's a, but it's a special type of people that make up the church. It's the people that are redeemed, that are believers in Jesus Christ. And then in week two, we looked at that those redeemed people are growing in unity. And we talked about humility and gentleness and patience and love and how those attributes in the life of believers is what unifies us together. And what we, what we specifically talked about, though, was that that unity is centered around truth. It's centered around what we believe, that there is one God, there is one Savior, there is one faith, there is one Lord, there is one baptism and one God and Father of all who fills all and is in all. And that's the central truth that we unify around. And then last week we talked about those people that are the church, the redeemed, that are unified together around truth. That those people, when they are in the church, that God gives the church gifts. And that those gifts help to equip the church for the work of the ministry. For the work of the ministry. And what we're going to look at as we transition into this this next section in, in Ephesians 4, we're covering one verse this morning. Ephesians 4 verse 13, we're going to look at how those redeemed people that make up a church, that are unifying together around truth, that are being equipped to work in ministry, we're going to see how it's important that we grow in Christ-likeness. That we grow in Christ-likeness. So let's look at the text, Ephesians 4 13, the one verse that we're going to look at. The last section we covered before Last week said that we would be equipped, that, that God's given the gifts, gifts to the church for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what Paul is saying here in this one verse, what Paul is saying here is that believers in Christ should be moving towards unity with one another that is centered around our faith. Let's put the text back up there. So, so he's saying that we should all, we should strive to attain to the unity of the faith. That's what we talked about a couple of weeks back, that we should unify around our faith in Jesus. It is the most common bond that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. We come from different backgrounds, Different, different economic classes. We, we look different. We're, some are shorter, some are taller. Some have darker skin, some have lighter skin. But what unifies us as believers is what? It's our faith in Jesus Christ. So we should attain, that we should, we should be being built up by the gifts that God's given his church until we attain unity as centered around our faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So Paul is saying here that our knowledge of Christ should be increasing. We should get to know Christ more. We should know more of his word and should be developing our understanding of Christ. Our knowledge of Christ should be increasing and that we should becoming and that we should be becoming mature adults. What that means here, that as our knowledge grows, it's not saying that we should all be men. 
Ladies, this is, we're not saying that you should be a man because you will never be a man. You're a woman, you're a woman, you're a man, you're a man, right? But it's speaking about mature adulthood, manhood, that, that God is saying, the Apostle Paul, God's saying through the Apostle Paul that, that God's giving gifts to the church to equip the church to work, do the work of the ministry, but also to unify around the faith, to, to increase in their knowledge of the Son of God, of Christ, and as that knowledge increases, what happens? You become mature in your faith. Next week, we're going to look at, at the danger of, of becoming like children. So Paul contrasts here in verse 13, and he says, you need to be mature in your faith, and the way you're going to be mature in your faith is to become like Christ, to know Christ, and, to, and, then, to, and then to increasingly become like him in your life. And then next week, he's going to warn us, this is who you're to be, but don't be like children. So we'll, 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 we'll look at that next week. But he points to a standard. Let's put the text back up there. He points to, to the standard until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And that knowledge leads to mature manhood. And what's the standard of our maturity? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christ is our standard. So you would say, well, how do I know when, I'm, when I am spiritually mature? When you look like Christ. Will I ever be completely like Christ? No. So what does that mean? That means that this is a lifelong pursuit. So for some of you who think, well, I've been a Christian for 40 years. I think I got it figured out. I just want to tell you that you have not attained to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ yet. Maybe you believe you have, but I, I hate to step on your toes or burst your bubble. But, but you can be an older saint and still you still have areas you can grow in, right? So this is a lifelong commitment that we're making, that we are increasingly growing in our knowledge of Christ to mature manhood. And because the standard is not looking like me, the standard is not looking like the super spiritual Christian that you might know. Because the standard is Christ, then we know that, that becoming like Christ is a lifelong commitment, it's, it's what you pursue for the rest of your life, to become like him in the way you think, the way you act, the way you speak. And this is the heart of Ephesians 4 as we started through Ephesians 4. Because of who we are in Christ, our first series in Christ, because of what Christ has done, I pursue him and to be like him, to act like him because of what he's done in me. And so Warren Wearsby, who's a, a Bible scholar and theologian, he says this, the first evidence of spiritual growth is Christ-likeness. The first evidence of spiritual growth is Christ-likeness. So what I want to do here this morning is I want to unpack what becoming like Christ looks like in our life as Christians. I want to unpack that and have four simple thoughts that we're going to look at. The first one is this. Becoming like Christ should be the normal pattern of our life. Becoming like Christ should be the normal pattern of our life. It is abnormal for a believer to say that they received Christ as their Lord and nothing changed. It's abnormal. It is abnormal for someone to say, hey, I became a Christian, but really nothing happened. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's pretty cool. Like, it's pretty nice. They're nice people. They're pretty Christians I hang around. They're pretty cool. But, you know, I prayed a prayer. Accepted Christ, but you know, I still go to the same places I went to. I still do what I used to do, and really nothing's changed. I want you to know that is foreign to Scripture. Becoming like Christ means that something's going to change. 
You're going to change. The most natural thing, the most natural thing that takes place in the life of of a believer is changed behavior. That is the most natural thing. How many of you remember back when you first got saved? You remember? When you first got saved, it's like your whole worldview changed. You saw the world completely different. And so the most natural thing to happen in your life is that because you have this new lens that you look at the world through, everything changes. And this is really, I summarize it in kind of three basic things that take place when we become believers. The first one is this, is that our minds are transformed. We have a transformed mindset. A transformed mindset. That's what happens, right? You become a Christian and then your mind is, begins to be changed. You see the world differently. And then what, what happens after that? If you begin to see the world differently, if you begin to recognize that God's word is true and you start increasing in the knowledge of God and the Son of God through his word, what happens? Then your values change. Transformed values. Transformed mind produces what? transformed values and when you value something when you value God's word you value what God's word says it's transforming your mind then your affections your heart as we talked about during during the prayer time your heart is transformed and then what's going to happen you have a transformed lifestyle transformed mindset transformed values will produce a transformed life it has to happen so If somebody in your life says, well, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, but they don't have a transformed lifestyle, they have not possibly heard the gospel correctly and have truly surrendered to Jesus Christ. Because I'm telling you, this is what happens. This is when you believe the truth of Scripture and you accept Jesus for who he is, you receive him as your Lord and your Savior, not just an addition to your life, but you receive him as your Savior You will have a transformed way of thinking that will transform your values, your heart, and then your lifestyle will be changed. That's what happens. So, but why is this? Why why is this? Why is this the pattern that we see in Scripture? Over and over again, you see this in Scripture. Why is this the pattern? It's because of what Scripture says takes place when we become a Christian. What takes place when we become a Christian? We are born again. Born again. You remember the conversation Jesus had with a Pharisee named Nicodemus? And Jesus tells him, he says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, I don't, I don't really understand this born again thing. Let's look at John 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi. Now, now, now this Pharisee, just have to say this. Why did he come by night to see Jesus? Because he was scared of his Pharisee brothers. So he went secretly at night to go see Jesus because he saw Jesus and he thought, there's something about this man that is different than what I've ever experienced. So he was seeking the Lord, came at night. And he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. The obvious is there. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, Jesus cut to the trace. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And this is what he says there, born of water is not signifying baptism. What he's saying there is that you must be born naturally 
of water and you must be born of the spirit. You have to be born. This is your first birth, born of the flesh, born of water. Your second birth is born of the spirit, receiving the Jesus as your savior and the spirit comes in and dwells you. Unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, meaning that you got to be a human first <laughs> and then you can be saved. First prerequisite to being saved is you got to be a human. Okay, you guys got that down? Okay, we're good to go there. Listen to this. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, must, you must be born again. For the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. It's a divine mystery. Nicodemus is right here. He's, he's thinking earthly. He's thinking how can somebody who is born when he's, oh, how can he be born again? And Jesus is saying, I'm, th- I'm speaking at a different level here. This, this is a mystery. How does the wind blow? I don't know. It goes where it wants to go. We can't figure out how that all completely works in salvation. It is a divine mystery and miracle that takes place that God would save us. And that's what Jesus is saying. So why is it that we start with the transformed mind that ends up with a transformed lifestyle? Why is it natural that we would grow into Christ's likeness? Because we've been born again. Galatians 2.20 says this, For I have been crucified with Christ. Alive people don't become Christians. You have to be dead first. If you're already alive, Jesus said, I didn't come for the well. I came for the sick. I came for those that are in need of me. You can't be alive and come to Christ and say, alive spiritually and say, hey, hey, I, I, I need some help. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's I'm crucified with Christ. I, I, I die. For I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Colossians 3 says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For, this is a believer, if for you have died, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What died when you became a Christian you became born again? Your fleshly nature. Your fleshly nature, that nature that was marred by sin, that, that nature that has a tendency to rebel against God. When you become a Christian, you are, that man dies. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 17 tells us what happens. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, has died in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So when you become a Christian, when you are born again, the most natural thing that should take place is that if you, is if your old man has been crucified and buried, and only one new creation comes up out of the water, out of the ground, then what does that mean? It means you're going to act different. You're not going to act like you used to act. Why? Because that person's dead. You guys follow me? That person is dead. They're dead. You're new. You're new. You're a new creation. Where does the battle rage? If the old man is dead, where does the battle rage? It's in the mind, right? So you have a new spirit that lives on the inside of you that belongs to Christ. But this flesh, this mind, this this will, these emotions have been trained. They were trained prior to Christ to obey that crucified sinful nature. 
So this is the spiritual life, is that we are training our flesh to obey the new man. You follow me? We're training our flesh, our mind, our will, our emotions, our thoughts, our words, our actions. We're training our flesh to obey who we are in Christ. The old man's dead. You're not dual natured. You have one, if you're a Christian, you have one new nature in Christ. And that new nature has to, has to obey the spirit rather than your flesh. You follow me? This is Christ-likeness. Because your old self has been crucified with Christ, only one new man remains. The root system of your life has been changed. And you are now rooted and connected to the life of Christ, which will produce a changed life. So the first thought about Christ-likeness is this. This is so fundamental and so important. That becoming like Christ should be normal for us as believers. But I want to say this. As you transition to the second thought, becoming like Christ, though, does not happen without our cooperation. Does not happen accidentally. This is our second thought. Becoming like Christ does not happen accidentally. So becoming like Christ is one of the most natural things that should take place in our life. But becoming like Christ does not happen accidentally. You know, there's some people who believe that, that I can just become like Christ by just kind of sitting in God's presence. If I just had worship music all day long, I would become like Christ. Just kind of soak it in. And wouldn't that be nice if that's the way it took place and there was nothing else we had to do? Just, just kind of sit in God's presence and worship the Lord and we would, be, we would become like Christ. That would be, man, we could get you all right pretty quickly. I mean, we wouldn't, even, we wouldn't even have to preach. Just, just worship team stays up here and we just stay in God's presence and, and then we would be changed. But that's not what scripture tells us. Something has to take place. And here's what has to take place. I know that this is a challenge for us and we don't like to hear it, but it's true. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says this. Therefore, my beloved, speaking to Christians, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That sounds contradictory to the gospel a little bit, doesn't it? A little bit, kind of like, wait a minute, I thought we didn't have to work out, work for our salvation. I thought that salvation was a free gift of grace, and it's true, that is. What's the Apostle Paul saying here in Philippians? What he's saying is this. He's saying that our calling to become like Christ, our calling as Christians is to work out what Christ has worked in. To work out what Christ has worked in. What has Christ worked in? Change, salvation, restoration, We're a new creation in Christ. And our calling, the Christian life, is to live out, to work out, to discipline, right? To discipline our bodies, to work out, to live out what Christ has worked in. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. As believers, we're called to work out what Christ has worked in. We don't grow into Christ's likeness by spiritual osmosis. You just don't become like Christ just by sitting next to the pastor, right? Pick pick your favorite pastor and just go sit next to him. And you just kind of absorb. Do you guys ever watch Star Trek, The Next Generation? You know the, the, uh, oh man, I wish I had my father-in-law here. He's a Trekkie. The Borg. The Borg. You guys know the Borg? This is what you call a spontaneous example that I have not thought through. (laughs) But you guys know the Borg, right? And the Borg, they're all, they've all been assimilated 
right? So like it's all one mind and they're all interconnected. And so, you know, you just kind of like dwell together, right? Christianity is not like the Borg, right? We're all assimilated in the fact that we've been new creations in Christ. But like we just, it it doesn't happen that way. You just don't come sit next to me and all of a sudden you're going to think the way I think and live the way I live and have the values that I have. It's not that easy. And, and the, the, the Christian life, to be a Christian, to be a Christian, it's, one, it, it's the greatest gift and the, and the most wonderful grace that we've ever experienced. But the Christian life is, is work. It's trials. It's, it's, it's wins and, and losses. It's successes and failures. It's peaks and it's valleys. And, and we work out, we live out what Christ has worked in in the middle of a messed up world. And that's the Christian life. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run, speaking of our Christian life, so run that you may obtain it. It, it, Look, the goal is the glory of God, that our lives would glorify God. And so this is the race that we're running, that we would become like Christ. And so if you're going to do the Christian life, run, don't sit on the sideline. Don't just sit there and think, well, you know, that, those people that are, those runners, I mean, that, those fit people, they're just a special class of people. And they are. They are. But spiritually speaking, we're all called to run. Run the race and run like you're here to win. Here to be victorious over Satan, victorious over sin, victorious over the flesh through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, this goal, this aim of Christ-likeness, this work that we're working, living out, we, 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 we don't run aimlessly, but, and we receive an imperishable crown. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But, but listen to this. But what do I do? I discipline my body, and I keep it under control, lest after preaching... To others, I myself should be disqualified. Right, right. I want to say this, hear me. If you are going to be a Christian that doesn't take the Christian life serious, I'd, I'd ask you to rethink it. Because if you are saying you're a Christian and you are bearing the name of Jesus and you don't live what you preach, you will bring shame to the name of Christ. There's only one way to be a Christian. It's all or nothing. It's all in. It's all in. You run to win the race. So our spiritual life is like a muscle. It must be exercised. So I have to say funny story here. And those of you who are in the room that warned me about a year or so ago, however long ago it was, you warned me, you warned me that this would happen. And it really has happened. It did happen. Your words came true. I signed up at Planet Fitness. <laughs> and I'm currently donating to Planet Fitness's ministry. <laughs> and I'm not getting anything in return. So I had a workout buddy, me and Caleb Bourgeois. We went for two days. In Jan- was it January? Caleb's in the house. Where- when was it? January, whenever it was when everyone goes. But people just kept coming. I was waiting for people to quit coming. Like, okay, this is just too packed out. I mean, this is ridiculous. Um, and so here, here's, so after our two visits, 
Caleb and Tiffany Bourgeois, they saw this shirt at uh, JCPenney's, and it says, um, I broke up with my gym. <laughs> we, 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 we just weren't working out. <laughs> so can you see that on the screen there? We just weren't working out. So this is a reality, right? But this is not an option for the Christian life. This is not an option for You can't quit. You can't give up. Some of you, you feel weary this morning in your Christian life. You can't quit. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Don't quit. Pursue. Ask for help. Talk to a brother and a sister in Christ to encourage you, to strengthen you. You can't quit like I quit Planet Fitness. you got to persevere. 1 Timothy 4 says this, If you put things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith. That word trained is the word for gymnasium in the, in the Greek. Of the, and you'll be trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, but rather train yourself for godliness. It takes training, working of the muscles of your spiritual life. For while bodily training is of some value, it is. I didn't get much value out of it after only two days. It is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way. For it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive. We toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Holman New Testament Commentary says this about this section of Scripture in 1 Timothy. It says, nobody ever wakes up trained or stumbles into exercise. The person who benefits most from exercise does it routinely and with determination. The athlete stretches and runs because these exercises lead him toward the greater goal of fitness. In the same way, prayer, Fasting, Bible study, and other disciplines are not ends in themselves, but means to a fuller relationship with God. We pursue righteousness, peace, and love because we pursue God. Amen? Amen. And so, this leads us to our, to our third point here about becoming like Christ. Thirdly, becoming like Christ is facilitated through ordinary means. You heard prayer and fasting and, and studying God's word, right? God becoming like Christ is facilitated through ordinary means. And what I want to do is I, I just picked four ordinary things that we'll look at that, that help us become like Christ. Because sometimes people, again, they mystify becoming like Christ. It is really practical. Everyday decisions that you make. The first one is the obvious one. We've talked about many times. It's the word of God. The word of God will facilitate us becoming like Christ. John 17, 16 through 17 says this, speaking to, about those who are not Christians, they are not, speaking of, of us as, as, as Christians, they are not of the world. Jesus is praying to the Father. He's saying that these believers are not of the world just as I am not of the world. And he says this, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That word sanctify means to be set apart unto God in holiness. And so the way that we're going to be set apart unto God in holiness, in Christ's likeness, is that we would be connected with God's word. Jesus prayed to the Father, sanctify them in truth, for your word is truth. The word of God 
is alive and active, it says in Hebrews 4. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces and it divides. It dissects the thoughts and intentions of our heart. It's what God's word does. It is alive. It's not just a stale, dead book with black ink on white pages. It is God's breathed, breathed out word. It is, it is his very words. And whenever we read the word, when we're in the word, it's like a sword that pierces our hearts and it dissects and it divides. And it speaks to who we really are. It speaks to where we need to grow. It speaks to our maturity level and it helps us to mature in Christ. God's word, listen, hear me, is the primary tool of becoming like Christ. If you want to make God's word secondary in your Christian life, your growth will be stunted. You make the word of God a back burner issue, your spiritual growth and your Christ likeness will be stunted. God's word is the primary tool that the Lord uses for our spiritual growth. Second ordinary thing that facilitates our spiritual growth is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as believers, the Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of this. What does the Holy Spirit do for us? Read John 14. It says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit reminds us of the truth of God's word. He convicts us and he strengthens us. It's an ordinary provision from the Lord that helps us grow spiritually. We, we get in God's word. We hear God's word. We hear it taught. We read it. We, we, are, we are enveloped in God's word. And then we have the spirit that dwells in us. And the spirit reminds us of God's word. What, is, what does that look like practically? I know this, these are things you've heard. What does it look like practically? It looks like when you're in Rouse's. It's like when you're in Rouse's and you're walking down the aisle and, 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 and the Lord reminds you of the truth of his word and you see, you see a person, you see a situation happening, just everyday practical life, the Holy Spirit will remind you of his word and you can be a witness and a light to the people that are next to you. You know, you, you, some of you think, well, I can never articulately communicate the word and the gospel like a preacher can. That's not what it takes. It just takes obedience. It just takes you as a believer to be submitted to God's word. Put the word in. And if you will put the word in, the Holy Spirit will get it out. You put the word in, the Holy Spirit will get it out. He will remind you and he will empower you and he will strengthen you. You remember in Philippians 2 I read earlier? We're called to work out our salvation. Let's read it again in light of what I just said. Therefore, my beloved, you've always obeyed. So now, not only as also in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is the Spirit of God in you that is the strength. This is the Holy Spirit's work in our life that helps us towards Christ's likeness. When you don't have that, that motivation and that desire and you're struggling, the Spirit of God will empower you and strengthen you as you commit to pursuing God. A third essential element is this. It's prayer. Paul prayed this. We, we read this and we went through this in Ephesians 3. Paul prayed this for us. For himself and for us as believers. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. 
How many of you here this morning, you need strength in your inner being? You feel weak this morning. Yeah. You pray. You seek the Lord in prayer. You seek the Lord. You want to grow like Christ. You feel weary and overwhelmed. You get into God's word. You rely on the Holy Spirit and you pray. You pray. You pray without ceasing. You don't give up on prayer. You pursue God in prayer and he will strengthen you in your spirit, in your inner being. In prayer, what do we do? We desperately cling to God for help and spiritual strength to be and to do all that pleases him. Prayer is a sign of our dependence on the Lord. And I've said this plenty of times, but prayerlessness is our sign of independence from God. It's our declaration of independence from God when we don't pray. That's why we pray as believers, because we desperately need him to grow into Christ's likeness. We desperately need him to be all he's called us to be. The last one thing I want to mention about ordinary means that God uses to help us grow into Christ's likeness is this. Faithful leaders. Faithful leaders. Hebrews 13, 7 says this. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider, listen, this is so good. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. This is such a practical way that you can grow spiritually. This is why it is so needed for us to be connected as a body of Christ. You need to be close to people that are mature Christians. Read that again. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, those mature leaders. That would be a pastor. That would be a life group leader. That would be just a brother and sister in Christ that comes to church here. They, they, they exude God's word. They speak God's word. Remember them. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. This speaks to two things. Firstly, it speaks to us as leaders that are called to teach God's word. That we are held to a high standard. That you should be able to look at the outcome of my life. And as I was studying this this week, I just had to say this. As I was studying this this week, you know, I knew I was preaching this part in this message. And, and I got home Friday afternoon. And we were trying to finish some remodel stuff in the house that we just moved into. And we've been painting and been painting for, for days, I think, kilting and painting. And um, we took some shelves out of one of the built-in things that's in my living room. And we took the shelves out so we could paint on the inside. And, and so we're trying to put the shelves back in. And have you ever tried to put something back in when you took it out and it didn't go back in like you thought it would? You ever done that? And I'm just utterly exhausted, mentally drained it's late I wasn't and I had and, and the next day which was yesterday we were laying floors so I knew I needed to get everything off the, the slab in my living room we were living on concrete in the living room there and I just have to tell you you wouldn't have wanted to imitate my way of life on Friday night and my wife can fully attest to it and I had to I had to repent right and because I remember this I was like Lord I oh help me Jesus help me and I just, I, I think I apologized to herself like 15 times. She's half asleep. I just thought, sweetheart, I'm so sorry. I, I, I cannot act like that. You know, look, I'm not hollering and cursing. I'm not a hollerer or a cursor, right? But I'm just, I was rude. I was blaming her, like, because she took them out. <laughs> the others, I just had to say this. The other side that I painted, I kept the shelves in there because I'm lazy. <laughs> and I just did it all on there. Her side, she took, properly took the shelves out. And so just, I'm frustrated because they're, they're literally not going back in. I had to get a hammer, a mallet, a rubber mallet, and bang them back 
in and it scratched the paint as it was going down. And I'm just hot. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. But, but, but listen, listen, listen. I felt, I felt physically, felt grieved. And I felt the weight of my responsibility. I'm a pastor, right? I'm a spiritual leader for a flock, for children of God that come to Living Word Church. And, and I wouldn't want anybody in this church to have seen me like that, to respond to my wife like that. This is the weighty responsibility we have as pastors and is the weighty responsibility you have as leaders in your life, as Christians in, in your life. And that is, a, that is a way that the Lord uses us, helps us to grow in Christ-likeness, is that we would look at men and women that are mature, that are seasoned, that have been serving the Lord for years and years, and they're faithful and they love God's word, they teach you God's word. Look at their life. Look at the outcome of their life. And if it's Christ-like, imitate their faith. Amen? God has given us faithful men and women to look at as mentors, to see the pattern of their life and to follow their example. I want to conclude with this. A church that is growing in Christ-likeness will be a church that is poised for great impact. And this is where we're headed. This leads us to my fourth point. My fourth point is this, is that becoming like Christ increases the power and effectiveness of the church. This is one of the main reasons why we as a church need to be a healthy church. And the healthy church is what? A church that's Christ-like. This is why we pursue ultimately Christ-likeness for the glory of God. But we also pursue Christ-likeness so that we can have impact in our spheres of influence, in our community and around the world. Hear me. A church that is filled with people who are not pursuing the Lord and his ways will be a church that will lose its impact. This this truth, this reality is sobering. The fact that if we as individuals, and look, and we we think of the collective, we think of the collective, but we really have to think individually. This means me and you, you and you and you and you. Together, individually, we pursue Christ in his ways. But if we don't individually pursue Christ and Christ's likeness, then, 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 then individually we add to the, to the downfall of our church. This is, this is, this is what matters. This is, this is the seriousness with which the Lord looks at his church and what scripture says about his church. This is, this is, not, this is just not religious club stuff that we do here this is just not appeasing our conscience this is actual real life stuff there are people that live amongst us that are dying spiritually and will spend eternity in hell separated from god forever because they don't know maybe they do know but they're rejecting the truth of god's word maybe some of them don't even know maybe they never heard the gospel they've heard something else and this is, this is why we must pursue Christ's likeness because of our mission. Becoming like Christ increases the power and the effectiveness of the church. But a church that is filled with people who are passionate about Jesus and desire to please him with their life will be a church that has power and effectiveness in the things the Lord calls them to. I want to read this in Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says this. This is the early church. It's just been birthed. Holy Spirit has come down and the 
on, on, on the day of Pentecost is an empo- and has empowered the believers to be bold witnesses. Listen to this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to God's word as it was revealed then, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Listen to this. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. I want to emphasize there it was the day by day attending the temple, day by day pursuing Christ, day by day pursuing Christ's likeness, day by day in the word, day by day in prayer, day by day pursuing God with all of our heart. And you know what will happen day by day when we do that? Day by day the Lord will add to his church those that are being saved. As our lives are pursuing Christ's likeness and we become credible witnesses to the gospel, then people will be impacted. In Matthew 5, as we conclude, in Matthew 5, remember Jesus described the church in Matthew 5, described the Christian, and he called the Christian salt. He called the Christian light. He said that we would be salt, and salt is a preservation additive, right? It preserves. And so that's what we are to be in our culture. I believe that every culture that Christians are there, that they are preserving that culture, and that God's wrath is not coming upon that culture because the Christians are there. So we are a preserving agent. We speak life and bring truth in a corrupt, godless culture. But it also says that we are light and that that light cannot be hidden. You know it's impossible to hide light. Some people say, well, I just, I don't know if I can really speak and be a light. If you're a Christian, you're a light. You can't hide the light. It's the most natural thing that takes place. We're salt and we're light. And I want to close with this quote speaking about salt and light, which is our responsibility. Charles Spurgeon, who many considered and gave him the title, the Prince of Preachers. He pastored a several thousand member church in London. He says this, we shine because we have light and we are seen because we shine. By good works, we best shine before men. True shining is silent but yet it is so useful that men who are too often very bad judges are yet forced to bless God for the good which they receive through the light which he has kindled. Angels glorify God whom they see and men are forced to glorify God whom they do not see when they mark the good works of his saints. We need not object to be seen Although we, are, although we are not to wish to be seen. Since men will be sure to see our, our excellences if we possess any, be it ours to see that all the glory is given to our Lord, to whom it is eternally due. Not unto us, not unto us, but unto thy name, O Lord, be praise. And would you stand to your feet with me? Not unto us, not unto us, Lord, but unto your name, be praised, God. 
Lord, that is our prayer. God, our prayer is that we would become like Christ. God, our desire is that we would shine as lights in this culture, in this world, in our family. God, I pray that you would help us, God, to pursue Christ-likeness with all of our heart, to discipline our body, to pursue diligently the goal of winning the race, of running this race, of obtaining the prize of the glory of the name of Jesus, that you would be glorified in all that we do and all that we say. God, I thank you, Lord, that you are conforming us into the image of your son, Jesus. Lord, that is your work. It is the work of the Spirit in us to conform us into the image of your son. God, I pray, God, that we would not grow weary in well-doing. I pray that we would just not give up. There's some of you here this morning, you just have thought about giving up. And I just pray that you would not give up. Don't give up. There's hope around the corner. Keep pursuing. Keep running after the Lord. Keep pursuing him with all of your heart. It may look dark right now. It may look like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm telling you, keep pursuing the Lord with all of your heart. Lord, as we pursue you day by day, day by day, we are becoming like you. As we behold you in your glory, we are becoming like you. And as we become like you, we will shine in this life. And day by day, men and women, young and old, will see the light and they will surrender to Christ because of our testimony. This is our prayer. And if any of you here this morning need to surrender to Jesus, you have not done that. You have not made Jesus the Lord of your life. I want to pray for you. When I close in prayer, I will be down here. And the other pastors will be down here. If that is you and you have rejected Christ and you have, you have refused to bow your knee, today is the day of salvation. Bow your knee today. Surrender to the goodness of God as provided through Jesus Christ. If that is you, don't wait another moment. Surrender today. That is our prayer. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be dismissed. I love you.